This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Acts 28, 1 through 10, Paul on Malta. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the storm, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Pabilus, who received us and entertained us with hospitality for three days. It happened that the father of Pabilus lay sick with fever and dysentery, And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Thank you, Linnea. Question for all of you, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? As I thought of that, uh, several things came to mind. Um... When I was a teenager, I remember having to get over my fear and to jump off granite rock. I actually found a picture of someone jumping off granite rock. It's the furthest one on the right. Kind of hard to see, but it's a guy's legs in the air falling into the Snake River. I grew up on the confluence of the Snake and the Clearwater River. And on the Snake part of that, there's this, I don't know, 60 foot, it probably wasn't, more like 30, but it felt like 60, 70, 80 foot drop into the water. And I remember jumping off Granite Rock for the first time, overcoming my fear, and just taking that leap. That was scary. Um, In my senior year, my friend Russ and I took a trip, and we went to uh, the uh, Palouse Falls. This is the Palouse Falls. And you can actually climb along the edge of the river, and you can get out to where those rocks are next to the falls. And uh, we, you know, kind of dared each other to do push-ups as our heads were hanging over Palouse Falls over that cliff. And so that was, that was pretty scary. And I successfully did 10 at that time. Um, that was right before I went into the Army where I had another very scary experience. When I was at Fort Benning, Georgia, we did the confidence course. Uh, I went into basic training kind of thinking, uh, I'm not going to make it. I'm going I'm to phase out of this. I'm not going to make it through. And as we were marching up to the confidence course, I said, well, this is the day then. This is the day that I'm going to fail out. Because those they were high and it was scary and there was no safety harnesses or anything to protect you. If you fell, you probably died. And so we did, that was a scary, scary day. But none of those compare to the very scariest thing that I ever did, which was say yes to planting a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That was by far the scariest thing I've ever done. See, we didn't know Fort Wayne. Courtney and I had visited a couple of times. We went to the zoo. I remember we went to Red Robin here in town once, but that was about the extent of Fort Wayne that we knew. And uh, we came as what they call the parachute plant at the time, which basically means we had no one here waiting for us. There was one other family that joined us. This was in January 2012. So it was us and the Newlands and 
Uh, they've since moved, but they were part of that. And they were the first family that joined us. And we're starting out with nothing. And what's really challenging about all that is that under the church planting group that we were there, I had four months to gather people who would contribute financially to the church plant because after four months, they were done paying me. That was scary. Because <laughs> it's, I mean, that's just crazy. It's a crazy timeline. Then after that, we had another five months, so nine months total to collect now tens of thousands of dollars to buy all the equipment to get this thing up and running. Again, very, very scary, scary time. But I look back now, uh, 10 going on 11 years into this church plant thing and see that God has sustained us and God has carried us through. I love this quote by Billy Graham who said, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot sustain you. And that's been so true in my life. And really it's true for the Apostle Paul. So here in our text, you have Paul. He's uh, been told by God to go to Rome and he's on his way to Rome, and he's hitting all kinds of obstacles. And yet all along the way, God's grace is sustaining. God's provision is there for him, and it's awesome to see. Now, you may sit here and say, well, look, I don't plan on going out and planting a church, and I'm not the Apostle Paul. How does this apply to me? Well, does God have a will for your life? Please say yes. <laughs> he has a will for your life, and I don't know the specifics of that will I, hasn't revealed it to me, hasn't revealed it to you. You just got to take it a step at a time. But I do know this. You have a calling. You have a mission. You have a ministry that God has called you to. And it's a scary one. Here's Acts 1.8 again to prove it. I've been showing this last several weeks of reminding us of this because as we come to the end of the book of Acts, I want to remind us is why we're here at all. But here's Acts 1.8, which says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are God's witnesses. And that is a scary, scary calling. It means steps of faith. It means trusting God and speaking when you would rather not. It means being bold when you'd rather be timid. So here's my challenge for you from this text. I will faithfully serve others as I trust God to care for me. I will faithfully serve others as I trust God to care for me. And what I want to show you in the text are three ways God will care for you. Three ways God's going to care for us. And here is the first. He will care for your needs. God will care for your needs. So, of course, we're going to go to the text. Let's look at Acts 28, verse number 1. And we were brought safely through. When we were brought safely through, uh, we then learned that the island was called Malta. And the native people showed us unusual kindness. For they had kindled the fire and welcomed us all because it had begun rain and it was cold. All right, so, so go back to what we're talking about. God had brought them through, through what? Through a storm, through a hurricane-level storm, and they were now shipwrecked on a beach. It was rainy. It was cold. We're talking about late autumn. And, and how were they going to be cared for? Well, amazingly, the native people, the Maltese people, don't see them as a threat, but they decide to care for them. That's miraculous. 
How often do strangers land on a beach in this day and they think, you know what? Instead of trying to kill them, we're going to welcome them in. But they did. They welcomed them in to care for them. Now, I've read this story, I don't know how many times in my life, and I always picture this whole campfire scene as like this small little campfire with Paul and a few people around and some Maltese people that are there. But, but think for a moment about what we're talking about. This was everybody that was a part of the shipwreck, 276 people. <laughs> So a massive bonfire, lots of effort and energy to be sure these people were cared for, but yet God cared for them. God loved them, and he does it through hospitality. Hospitality is mentioned several times in the text. In fact, take a look at verse number two, where it says the native people, the Maltese people, by the way, that word in the original language simply means people who speak a foreign or different language. Uh, they showed us unusual kindness, and they kindled the fire and talks about that. But also take a look at verse number seven. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So you see hospitality mentioned several times. And I want to say, God often uses hospitality to care for his people. God often does. And hospitality is a theme throughout all of Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 58, they are offering fasts to the Lord, but they're not doing it for the Lord. They're offering fasts, and they're showing all this outward righteousness that was really just so people could see them. And God challenges them to say, that's not a fast. Is not a fast this, and is not a fast this. And so he says this in 58.7, is not righteousness or is it not a fast to share your bread with the hungry and bring homeless into your house. And when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. So the idea there is to welcome people, to love people. That's what God wants. That's what God thinks is righteous, to welcome people in and to love them well. We looked at this text a couple of weeks ago, actually a very similar text, I should say, from Matthew 25, which says this. This is Jesus now talking, and he says this. Thus the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now watch this. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of these, the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus talking about hospitality. In fact, when he sends his apostles out into the world, he gives them this instruction from Matthew chapter 10. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy and stay in it there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. 
If the house is worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake up the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, watch this, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Why the harsh judgment? Because they did not receive the word. They did not receive these sent out ones for Christ and bring them into their home. They weren't hospitable. God loves hospitality. And can I remind us that I think one of the key ways we're going to reach today's culture is as we open up our homes, as we love people, as we reach out. And I know that as I say that again to a very busy people, are you busy? If you're busy, say amen. We're a busy people. Man, our kids can get involved in so many things these days and driving here and driving there and this appointment and that appointment. And I'm not talking about adding another dinner appointment to your schedule. I'm talking about adding another plate at your table, bringing people along with you as you do life and loving people around you and inviting them in. And through your love and hospitality, God will use that. Now, back to the text. What's interesting here, who is showing hospitality to whom? It's the Maltese people showing hospitality to Paul and his group. Well, is that because they were really strong Christians? No, not at all. In fact, take a look here at verse number four. Did you notice that when we're reading uh, this text, in verse number four, the word justice in the ESV is capitalized? It's capitalized because probably they were talking about the goddess justice, or in the Greek, dike, the goddess of justice. And what they were saying is, oh, he must have been a murderer because the, the Greek goddess of justice, who was Zeus's daughter, he, she didn't let him go free. So he got killed anyway, even though he made it through the storm. And so obviously they were pagans. Pagans showing loving hospitality. Where does that come from? Well, listen, the total depravity of man, which is something that we hold to, does not mean that men will always do the absolute worst thing possible. In fact, God's word says in the book of Romans, by the way, did you know we're going to be in Romans soon? Thank you for the one person super excited about Romans. <laughs> yeah, in fact, <laughs> two people. All right. But hold, hold on. Here's what we're going to do. We're real excited about this. We're going to hop into Genesis a little bit. Then we're going to hop over to Romans for a little bit. Then we're going to go back to Genesis for a little bit and back to Romans for a little bit. And then I'm going to retire after we're done with all that. Um, who said woo to my retirement? I don't like that at all. But anyway, it's going to be a bit. Hopefully it won't be until my retirement. But it's going to be a while working through all of those. We're really, really excited about those. They're really dovetailed together, really, really cool. So we're excited about that. So Acts finishes next week. And then right after that, we're in Genesis. So exciting times. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Um, Romans reveals that these people have the law of God written on their heart. God's law is written on their heart, and they open up their home in hospitality to them. And it's awesome because, again, God loves hospitality, and God often uses hospitality to care for his people. But here's the point I'm trying to make, and all that to say, as you step out as a witness for Christ, I want you to know it's a promise of God that he is going to care for for you. He will care for you. He'll provide for your needs. I want to uh, maybe introduce some of you to a couple that you probably don't know, or if you do know, you don't know them through redemption, 
but they were some of the earliest core team members that we had here in town. And this is Kevin and Cindy Duvall. Uh, Kevin is a faithful servant of the Lord, loves the Lord, Cindy as well. And uh, they came to a vision meeting and they quickly joined the team. Now they had to step out because he went into his own ministry. And so that was a hard day for both of us as we really had uh, gotten close together. He still sends me uh, birthday greetings every single year. But Kevin and Cindy, um, when, when I was coming to town, I was still living in Elkhart. So it's an hour and a half, maybe two, depending on where we were, two hours away. And, um, you know, I, I had to come and find people to plant this church like we were talking about. And so how in the world was I going to do that? I couldn't rent a hotel every time I came. That'd be really, really expensive. And so we're trying to figure out kind of how all this works. Well, early on, Kevin and Cindy said, look, we want, we have a home and in our home, we have a mother-in-law suite. And it was a nice uh, get up. There was a bedroom. There was my own bathroom. There was a separate entrance. And early on, they just gave me the key. And they said, consider this yours. Anytime you're in town, just come in and use it whenever you need to. And boy, did I. I, mean, I had to come to town frequently, several times a week. And they just lovingly opened it up, fed me breakfast, took care of me. And their hospitality really enabled us to be uh, the plant and to focus on our church plant here. And that's what God does. God often cares for us through hospitality. So a couple of challenges, if I can lay them at your feet. Uh, number one, I will say this. You need to trust God and receive hospitality at times. It's hard to do. It humbles you to be the one on the receiving end of hospitality. Someone buying you a meal or someone opening their home or you want to say, no, 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 I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. No, sometimes you got to humble yourself, trust God and receive hospitality. Then I would also say this, love God and offer hospitality. Love God and serve God and offer hospitality. And I think it's going to be, again, one of the key ways of loving people into the kingdom as you open up your home and bring them along with you and just be a, a part of their life as they're a part of your life and see what God will do with that. We're called to be witnesses. And we got to trust the Lord because he's going to care for our needs. It was the thing that made me the most nervous about planting a church. Are we going to be okay? And I can say now, almost 11 years in, God cared for our needs. Second way that God will care for us from the text is this. Uh, God will be faithful to his promises. Okay, true or false? As um, Linnea was reading that text, you were like, what's the pastor going to do with this whole snake handling thing? I know you were. I know that. Well, let's get there and let's talk about it a little bit. So in the text now, verse number three, if you would, check this out. There it is. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, he put them on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Pause there just for a second. There are some commentators who try to say, well, this snake isn't really venomous, and that's why he didn't kill him. They thought it was a viper. It really wasn't a viper. Well, I want to say the text itself um, really destroys that idea because the word fastened uh, is used in other Greek um, uh, texts, other Greek stories, uh, to describe fastened with the intention of putting poison in or poisoning somebody. So the very word means to poison, to fasten in order to poison. That's the idea. So definitely it was poison, okay? He got bit by a poisonous snake and he should, snake, and he should have died. I think he just said poisonous snake. That's got to be the worst thing in the world, but a poisonous snake is also bad. Uh, but anyway, verse number five, uh, four now. Um, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, 
ouch, uh, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice, this Greek goddess, has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, they saw no misfortune come to him. They changed their minds and said, he was a god. (laughs) Side note, when you don't have absolute truth as your foundation, you're on a pendulum swing of what is true and what is not true, aren't you? It happened this week for Mark Hamill. You know, Mark Hamill, if you don't know, is a very adamant liberal. He, he posts about liberal ideas, liberal thoughts all the time. I just ignore those and just imagine him as Luke, and I'm okay. But um, he, so what happened this week is that he actually liked a tweet by J.K. Rowling. And J.K. Rowling is pretty vocal about her belief that gender assignment is biological. In other words, if you're born a male, you're a male. If you're born a woman, you're a woman. And she's pretty vocal about that. And he liked one of her tweets. And so the LGBTQ plus, the liberal community just went on the onslaught. And you need to unfollow her. You need to explain what you're doing with all that. And so he went from liberal hero to liberal zero in about 2.5 nanoseconds. Because, and that's what happens when you have no absolute truth. You're just on a pendulum swing. And, and that's what happened to him. But that's a side point. The point I want to make in the text is, Paul was absolutely bitten by a venomous snake, and he did not die. Why didn't he die? Because Jesus promised he wouldn't. Here's Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Hmm. Now, in Mark 16, a text that may not have actually been a part of Mark, it's contested, but we'll just go there for a minute. Mark 16, 18, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will uh, lay hands on their sick, and they will recover. That seems to be like a one-for-one fulfillment in Paul, but yeah, there's a promise that... um, they can pick up snakes and not be hurt and tread them and not die. So is that for us? True for us? Well, to test it out, I have placed a venomous viper in a container under someone's chair. So if you would just reach down underneath you right now and grab that. No, there's no venomous viper there, I promise you. But I was told after the first service that the church that was here before us was a snake handling church. Let's just hope they got them all. Can I get a witness? Let's just hope that they're not wandering around here this morning. All right, I want to say to you, and I know that there's various theologies here. Let me give you my understanding of this, and I would say that I don't believe this is a promise for us today. And so here's a couple of things. Whenever you come across a promise in the Bible, you have to be very careful. There's a song that says, every promise in the book is mine. Is it? Okay, if I let my hair grow long, will I all of a sudden get supernatural strength? No. <laughs> nice. Uh, Cave Cordell's like, yeah, he's got long hair. All right, so yeah. We'll go lift up my car, pal. We'll see how true that is for, for you. But, but no, that was a promise made uh, to Samson. If he kept the Nazarite vow, then he would have that kind of strength. 
you know, you got to consider to whom the promise is made. So first kind of thing you got to do is consider to whom the promise is made. Now to see this in our text, I want to go to the Luke text. We know for sure that was in the text. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to do some Bible investigating. This is really important. When you come across a promise in the Bible, the first question to ask is, to whom was this promise given? Luke 10, verse number one. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So he had 72 people in front of him, and he sends them out. That sent out is where we get the word apostle. They're sent out ones. Now, there are 12 apostles in a formal sense, but there are also apostles that Jesus himself sent out into the world. And these are the people now, go down to verse 19. These are the people in verse 19 where he says, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and the power over the enemy, all of that's there. So that was for those who were sent out from Jesus himself. Do you know that it was Jesus himself that sent Paul out? He was the one that met with Jesus and said, you need to go. And he trained Jesus in the desert and sent him out. It was, it was those sent directly by Jesus. Most Bible scholars agree this promise is limited to the apostolic era, the era of those directly sent by Christ. But let's ask a second question too to really help us understand this, which is why was the promise given? Why was the promise given? Do you know that the snake handling churches, and there's a, several of them across our, our, our country, um, they, 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 they do this to prove their faith. I want to prove my faith. I don't know why I'm using a country accent right now, but I'm going to, okay, I'm going to prove my faith. And they, they grab the, the snakes to prove their faith, to show how much faith they have. That's a problem because look at verse number 20. Right after verse number 19, You'll tread on serpents, verse number 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. In other words, don't rejoice in the power that you now have, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in the gospel. This isn't about you showing how awesome you are. This is about the furtherance of the gospel. Two, you gotta think, didn't God himself say, do not tempt the Lord? Do you remember how when Jesus was tempted to jump off the pinnacle of the, uh, the temple that the angels would carry him. There was a promise the angels would carry him, but he wouldn't do it. Why? Because it wasn't about showing how amazing he was and putting God to the test. Don't do foolish, dumb things to show how amazing you are. And grabbing a snake and saying, I, can, I got faith, baby. I'm going to grab that snake. That's a dumb, foolish thing. So no snake handling. All right? In August, people said, Phew. <laughs> uh, I was so tempted to bring in a cooler and, and just say, anyone want to test their faith this morning? But Courtney said no, so I didn't do it. <laughs> Not that promise. But I want to tell you, there are promises we can cling to. Clear promises in God's word that we can cling to. Write this down, write God's presence. Do you write that down? God's presence. We have the promise of God's presence. 
Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When this whole opportunity of planting a church, and at that time, we didn't know where it was going to be. This whole thing kind of came my way, and we decided to do it. Early on, God brought me to Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, Moses tells God, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. And I remember my home in Elkhart laying my finger on that verse, physically laying my finger on that verse and saying to God, God, if you're not in this, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But here's a promise in Matthew 28 that if we're going to make disciples, that he is going to be with us. In 11 years, almost 11 years later, I can say, God has been with us. Write this down. God's provision. God's provision. You have a promise of God's presence. You can cling to that. You have the promise of God's provision. Uh, if I were to say to you, give me a verse where God promises to provide for you, could you do it? Speak up. Could you do it? Where, where would you go? Philippians. That's a good one. Where else? Matthew 6. That's what I was thinking too. So here's Matthew 6. And uh, Matthew 6 is a great text, promising God promising to care for us. See, but listen, man, this was the thing that made my heart go into AFib. Will you really provide for us, God? Will you? I still at times struggle with God. Will you provide for us? And yet here it is in his word, a promise. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But let's read this last verse together, can we? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's the idea. Seek first the kingdom of God. And for us, what that means is the furtherance of the gospel, to be a witness about the gospel, to see it move forward. And we're going to seek that. We're going to trust God to add all these other things to, to us. So we have God's presence as a promise, God's provision as a promise. And write these last ones down, God's power. God's power. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Here's one thing I realized very early on in my church planning endeavor and that is I don't have what it takes. I'm not charismatic enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have faith enough. But I also have learned in my weakness, God is strong. And if I'm stepping out in faith to be a witness for him, understanding I don't got it, but I have it in Christ, and relying on him, that's where it's at. I think one of the scary things about being a witness is, God, will you actually use me? You actually do something here. And the clear promise in God's word, we have the power of the Holy Spirit as we live as witnesses. 
You're called to something, church. And it's a scary thing. I'm telling you, God is going to take care of you as you faithfully serve others. God will care for your needs. God will be faithful to his promise. And lastly, write this one down. He will give the increase, or he will give the growth, depending on the translation. But he will give the increase. And let's, of course, see this in the text. This is uh, verses 7 through the end of our portion today, which is verse number 10. Acts 28, 7. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, and he re- whom received us and entertained us with <clears throat> hospitably for three days. Yet half of the father Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting hands on him, healed him. And when he had... When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we're about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. It's really, really cool. But that uh, verse number 10, they honored us greatly in the original language. It's, it's literally, they honored us with many honors. And when I read that, it just kind of brought back to my mind how God gives favor with God and favor with men. And here is God giving favor with men, using Paul greatly. I guarantee, I'm going to show you a verse later that proves that he was there to preach the gospel to them, not just heal their needs, but to see them saved. And God was honoring that, and God was giving the increase. God was giving the growth. So a couple things I want to say uh, about that. Uh, Number one is this, take every ministry opportunity. Take every ministry opportunity opportunity. And I just love this about the Apostle Paul, man. He never turns it off. He never does. It's cool because he starts out as a prisoner on the ship, but he ends up leading everybody. (laughs) That's awesome. Why did he do that? Well, because he had the gift of leadership and he used it. In fact, he says this to Rome in Romans 12. Having gifts, by the way, we'll be in Romans 12 in about six years. Uh, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He was given the gift of leadership, and he just uses it for the glory of God. Look at verse number three. I love this. Here's verse number three. And what do we find Paul, the leader, doing? When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. Man, this is not how people lead today. Hey, you, go get sticks. I'm not going to get sticks. I'm a leader. Humble leadership. Faithful leadership. I'm just going to serve the people. And then go all the way down to uh, verse number eight. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Now watch this. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting hands on him, healed him. Man, think about this for a second. Paul is a prisoner. Paul had been on the sea for months. And that ended with a shipwreck. And if that wasn't enough, he gets bit by a viper.
They're delicious, but they don't photograph well. Um, and they're filled with, you know, sodium and all that stuff. But anyway, the point is, is, that, is that we just live to put life on display. So can, can I challenge you? Feed the hungry. But please don't post about it. Pray for the needy. Give to those who have a need. But don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And I don't know. I, I, I love my fellow pastors, but it, it does get me a little bit when all of a sudden they are posting a picture of themselves preaching with a quote from their sermon. And it's kind of like, don't just, just preach, dude. Just preach. And let God take care. Don't do persona work. Pastors doing persona work just seems off to me. This is why, by the way, I hardly ever post on social media. And when I do, it's about wargaming, which everyone thinks is super geeky. So that's fine. I can own that. I'm totally okay with that. But the promise is, listen, God does give increase. God does give growth. And God can use your efforts as you faithfully serve him to further the kingdom. God can use you. And when you say, God can use me, say it. God can use me. God can use you to do the work of the ministry. He will, and he has. And it's awesome to see, and only he gets the glory for it. There's a a couple of stories I want to share. One is of a um, pastor who was on his deathbed, and he was looking back at his life, and he said to those around him, my life has amounted to nothing, and my ministry has amounted to nothing. What he was failing to remember is that he had led Edward Kimball to Jesus. And some of you may ring a bell with you. Let me help you a little bit. Edward Kimball ended up leading D.L. Moody to Jesus. Moody, of course, was uh, one of the most effective evangelists uh, of our history, American history in Chicago and other places. And you can draw a connection from D.L. Moody to those he impacted, those he impacted all the way to Billy Graham. And we know what Billy Graham has done for the glory of God. But the point is, is that you never know what God's going to do. Uh, someone shared in the, after the first service another story of a little uh, church in Scotland, and this missionary preacher was there, and he stands up in this little church in Scotland. He's got three, four little old ladies that are in the congregation, and he just, I don't know, I guess I'll just, I'll just preach my sermon and he preaches this sermon to a very, very empty room, and he preaches the gospel, unbeknownst to him, in the room where they pumped the air for the organ. Back in the day, they had to do that, and they had a guy that did that. It was a little kid, and that little kid came to know Jesus that day. That little kid was Livingston, David Livingston. He became one of the greatest missionaries we know. And it's all of that to say like that, you never know what God will do with your faithful ministry, but you know he will use it. And so... The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot sustain you and faithfully serve God. Trust God for the increase. Don't fear ministry failure. You use your gifts and abilities and put them into the hands of God and he will do the rest. Father, thank you for your grace and your love. We just offer to you ourselves. We trust you with all of that. Help us to be a people who just live for your glory and not the glory of men. Keep us from that, God, I pray. 
Father, I pray that you would give the increase. You would give the growth to our ministry. Um, but Lord, I would pray that you alone would get the glory. Help us to live as servants and missionaries and witnesses first. For your name we ask it, amen. Thank you, redemption. You are loved.